0: All right, uh, leave your Bibles open there to Ephesians 5. We're going to continue on in our series, Gender Revealed. Uh, We have been uh, several weeks in here, and we've got um, a couple weeks after today, uh, left in this series where we have looked at um, what does God say about the confusion of gender and sexuality that is so obvious and so Rampant in our world, the confusion's obvious, right? The 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 clarity and the answer is not so much, and so we've been looking at what does God say about this whole issue. So we've looked at the the reality that um, in the beginning God made us in His image, and part of being in His image, He made us both male and female on purpose, right? And it's good. After He made it, He declared it very good, uh, and and that design is good not only just because it you know it pleases God, but it also leads to our Flourishing, right now, God's good design has been broken, right? Like, I don't think anybody disputes that. Like, no matter where you land on this conversation, really in the world, like we're probably closer to the same page in this, you know, in this room. But really, throughout the world, nobody debates the fact that like this whole thing is messed up, right? That there's there is um, a brokenness about our sexuality. Now, uh, and so no one's really arguing that, but where. Um, you know, and even in our text, it starts by saying like, hey, the days are evil, right? The world at large uh, would agree with us that, that, man, things just are not as they should be re- regarding this issue. Uh, but where the, the divide broadens real quick is what what's the solution, right? Like, what do we do about it? Where do we go from here? And so what we tried to say in this series is that, again, our genders are by design. They're not to be apologized for, right, or or done away with, rather that our genders is, as male, and, as man and woman, manhood and womanhood should not be apologized for or done away with, but rather understood and leaned into, right, and embraced. And, and that, that is where human flourishing will actually come from. So we've looked at how God made us equal, right, as male and female, and yet distinct, right? So male and fem- men and women, are, there's not a, a higher degree of value on one or the other, uh, but there is distinctions in both, you know, biology um, and then just in what God has called us to and how we image God to the world. And then we've looked at what each of these things look like as far as biblical manhood, what it should be, biblical womanhood, what it should be, and then the brokenness and redemption of each of those things as well. And so uh, that's where we've been, and, and that in and of itself is, is good and helpful, because manhood and womanhood uh, in itself like stand alone as God's good design in the fulfillment of these these roles, like uh, we complement each other as men and women on a macro scale in our world. It's it's not dependent upon marriage for us to fully image who God is, right? Like, that that we don't have to wait, like, you're not, if you're single or, um, you know, like, you're not incomplete and waiting for you to, you know, fulfill God's, pl- no, like, God has a plan for, in fact, we're going to talk all next week about singleness, because I think, and that's, and listen, before you go, oh, it would be a good week to skip, no, it won't, because uh, it matters how we view And how we interpret, how we speak of, how we value singleness. The the scripture would actually say that it is a gift and a calling that is noble. And, um, whether that's for a season or forever, that we should not have this posture of kind of look, in fact, how we see singles and people, you know, whether they're trying to get in a relationship or not, like that contributes to the confusion of gender and sexuality issues. Because if people don't feel like they are fulfilling you know, what the world expects of them, then that contributes to the confusion. So we're going to talk a lot next week about how just as, as man and woman, whether you ever experience the, the union of, of marriage or not, you are in God's image bearing his weight and his goodness to the world as you live out manhood and womanhood in those ways. So... Um, what we've talked about is good in and of itself already, and we'll talk about the, kind of the implications of that even more next week. But so much of this conversation about gender and sexuality is about the relational aspect of it, right? Who can who can be with who? Who can marry who? Uh, what is that? And And listen, this has been a part of the conversation for years, long before long before we've gotten to the degree of gender confusion that we experience right now about whether gender is even a thing, the, the idea of sexuality and, and who can marry who and all of those things, have that's been going on in our culture for uh, decades now, right? And, and I think that that, like, that you know, revolution, if you will, and those changes have probably paved the way for the amount of gender confusion and, and, and things that we're experiencing today. Uh, probably all that doesn't happen if we don't have the, the other conversations about you know, sexuality and, and the relational aspect of it. And so, um, the reality is like what everybody keeps the conversation is usually driven by this need for you know that we need to progress and, and keep up with the times and like and that, that god 's way or, or you know traditional ways to view marriage and sexuality and relationships is is just that it 's old tradition and it does it like that we need to progress keep up with the times move like the world has changed and we need to uh, broaden our worldview and all of those things and and, and people You know that conversation has been going on for a long. Sexual revolutions is not a it's not a new thing, right? They've been going on for a a long, long, long time, and they always promise really big, don't they? Like uh, you think back through history and the the different revolutions that we've gone through as far as sexuality, and they always promise that this is this is what you know we need to experience fulfillment and health and wholeness and whatever, and they they never deliver on that promise to uh, bring flourishing, happiness and wholeness to our world. And so what, pe- what people don't want to acknowledge oftentimes in this conversation is that there's actually, there's actually another way. Like that there's actually an ancient, tried, and true way that is given to us by our ultimate authority, by the one who designed our bodies, our beings, that he made things not in just like hey, go go do what you want, but in a in a certain way right that that, that leads to flourishing for humankind, so the the big idea is that there 's way more to the design of male and female together than it just being natural natural or traditional right and, and it is those things right it is the traditional view of marriage to have one man and one woman right and, and it is certainly the, the most natural in most people 's eyes, but we don 't base any other kind of moral argument on those things. Well, it's, it's tradition or it's natural, right? Like we, we, we're not going to continue to make decisions or define things because it's what we've always done. There's been a lot of traditions that have needed to be broken, right? Uh, and I could name a few of those things, the tradition of, of slavery, like that needed to end, right? So we're not going to de- define what's good and right and how we should go forward because of what we've done or what's tradition. And we're, the same thing is, is not about what's natural or feel, feels good, right? Because we all have natural desires that come from within our flesh that are contrary to God's word, right? So we must submit ourselves to an ultimate authority if we're going to have understanding and life here. We must submit ourselves to what God has designed for our bodies, for our lives, if we're going to um, see things move in a way that is healthy. And so uh, that, with that in mind is, is kind of how we approach Ephesians 5 here. And this is a, uh, a famous passage, uh, one that actually Michael looked back in week two of this, or looked at in depth in week two of this series. And um, we're not going to go through it. We're really going to look at the beginning and the end. We're going to let the middle be more of a review of kind of some of the other stuff we've covered in this series. But I want to look at it with that in mind, that we submit to God as um, our creator and our authority, yes, but also as our good father. Right? There are times where my kids do not understand why we do things the way we do. And, And I even have explained it to them at length. And they reveal 30 seconds later that they still don't get it. But I have to talk to them about submitting, and even in those moments, right? Because it, I, I promise I'm doing those things for your good, I have to tell them. And, and so even though you may be, and in, 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 as Alex said, there may, there's, a, there's a varying degree of people in this room and in this world today uh, that you know coming from different places on this uh, idea of sexuality, And and I want to acknowledge that, and just say that that's okay. And we have to start with the place of saying, if we're going to um, truly like be intellectually honest about this thing, we we have to, if we're gonna, you know, look to what God says, then we have to submit to Him as our authority, and say, okay, Lord, I, I need to learn. I'm gonna submit to you because you are my authority, and. Understanding may come later, but I'm going to start here. And so, maybe for some of you, that's a big step to just say I'm open to even what this, you know, what this is saying and what, what God is saying in His book. And so, that's that's my invitation is to kind of let God's Word uh, bear its weight on us as our good Father, as the one who has the right. Like that's the whole. That's that's a lot of the root of this whole conversation in gender and sexuality is that everybody wants to say that there's really no one who could tell someone else what they can and cannot do with their body, right? That, that applies to a whole lot of conversations going on in our world today, and that comes back to the root of, like, we want this idea of autonomy where we can say what's right and wrong for me, and you don't get to put that on me because my truth, and that whole thing, right? It's very confusing, and I don't have time to unpack all of that. But what we have to do is start with the fact that we, we don't have the right to define what's right and good. We have to submit to a, a greater authority. And the good news is, when we look to God as our authority, we find not just this, not just, not at all do we find this dictator-like God who's just wanting to steal our fund and make sure that we fall in line, right? C.S. Lewis talked about the little boy that, you know, when he thinks about God, he reckons that's somebody that watches over the world and sees if anybody's having a good time and then tries to put an end to it, right? That's not who we find When we look at the God of the Bible, we find, uh, yes, an authority, yes, a creator, one who has a specific design in uh, in mind for the way that we should live, but it is for our good, the way that a father puts rules in place for his kids, it's for our good and for our flourishing. Amen? So that is the posture in which God speaks to our sexuality. So uh, if you would look with me, Ephesians 5, um, we're going to just walk through this again. Look at the, the beginning and the end as our primary points of emphasis this morning. Uh, but Paul starts uh, our passage where we're going on this way. He says, look carefully how you walk then, not as unwise, but as wise. So we don't get to just check out of this conversation about gender as Christians. We, we don't get to just say, well, it doesn't matter. Like We have to watch how we walk because there are influences, There, are, especially if you're raising kids, man. Uh, there are influences. There are things going on in our world. And we need to make sure that we're, we're not being flippant about things, but we are being wise, so appreciated the young men this morning that are graduating and asking us to pray for wisdom for them. Uh, man, what a, what a good move um, on their part. So here Paul says, listen, you need to look carefully how you walk. And he says this in verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Listen, I, I don't know that I need to unpack that a ton. Um, I mean, broad spectrum. There was another mass shooting this week. Um, There's laws being debated all the time about when life begins, who has the right to take that, who has the right to tell, all of those things. But then, again, the reason we even did this series is because our culture is grossly confused about what gender and sexuality is or isn't. And those things have significant impacts. When we talk about what does it mean to be a man, what does it mean to be a woman, who can do those things, who cannot do those things, the ripple effects across our culture are huge. And I would say a failure to understand this... Is, is at the root of so many of our issues. The home being uh, dismantled and, and broken apart affects so much of our culture. But, but really, then you look at the sexual perversion that is, the pornography industry. Uh, the, I mean, e- even you, you want to just acknowledge the, the Me Too movement that we've experienced. and, and, and this, uh, It's just, just kind of right in our face right now how evil the world is. So again, I, I, don't, I don't know that I need to uh, unpack that for you. Just pull up your news feed and I think... Uh, that will kind of illustrate that piece for you. But, but Paul says, because of that, you need to lean into the word of God and make sure that you know that you're living in a way that is wise and in line with what he's called you to. So verse 17, he says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So he says, you need to know what God says about this. It's not just, ah, oh, well, you know, whatever feels, you know, it'll sort itself out. No, you need to know. You need to know what God says about it, and you need to live your life accordingly. And then he says something that's, that's Seemingly sort of weird. Uh, verse 18, he says, Don't get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. There's an interesting correlation there. That I don't have time to unpack fully. Uh, but, but Paul says, listen, don't be drunk on wine. That's going to distort your wisdom. right? That's going to distort your judgment. But instead, lean into the Spirit and let the Spirit control you in a way that defies what you kind of know in your mind. And, and you submit to the Lord. You submit to that and to His control. And he says this, uh, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody uh, to the Lord in your heart. One pastor said, does this mean life's going to turn into a musical? And I would join him in saying, I really, really hope not. Musicals make me uncomfortable. When people start singing their sentences for no apparent reason, I'm just like, I, nope, we're done here. Like I, I don't have comment. Like I, I, I this just not me. Like I'm, I'm glad if you enjoy that, but the, uh, movies like that make me uncomfortable. If it's Disney, I, I can give them that. Like it's like, but man, I don't know. I'm just like, why are you singing? You can just say that. But, it 's because i 'm jealous because i can 't sing, but anyway so it 's not what paul is is saying here he 's not saying that we turn into just hyper corny people that just start singing all the time for for no apparent reason what he 's talking about is in verse 20 says, giving thanks to always and for everything to God our Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul is speaking to the church here and he's saying, listen, everything around you is chaos. This is a, this is a city in Ephesus in which the gospel is turned upside down. The, the, uh, the, the economy has been rocked because Jesus is Lord. These people are starting to acknowledge that and the, the making of their little idol gods has destroyed the economy. So everything's going on. It's a sexually debased world much like ours that, that he's talking to and he says, everything's evil around you, and you need to pay attention, and, and when, when you're coming within the church, there's so much influence going on in the world, right? There's so many, we talked, We saw a video last week about how many ads we see in a week, and our kids see, and how much influence they have on it, and we don't even realize how much we're being bombarded with propaganda and um, commercial, and all of those things are influencing us regularly, right? We've been desensitized just in the last 10 short years, the, the, the content that is on TV now, that uh, would not have been dreamed about just a few short years ago, right? The amount of skin that is shown, language that is said, references that are made has, has rapidly changed in our in our day and age. So what Paul's saying is you're gonna be influenced by the world, like you're being discipled by the world in a way that is contradictory to what's happening in here, right? Can we just acknowledge that? Like that the world has a message and it is shaping us, no matter really how good we are at shielding ourselves, and we should put boundaries in that, but we're still, we're going to have to combat that. And so what Paul says, when you come together, don't, you know, forfeit your coherency by getting drunk on wine. Instead, lean into the Spirit and address one another, encourage one another um, with truth, Right. Speak truth to one another. Be a place where where we are encouraging what is good and right and speaking and affirming biblical manhood and womanhood and calling our young men to be men, calling our young women to live as women and and encouraging those that are pursuing biblical marriage and womanhood. He says, listen, you need to be the place that cultivates this type of posture because the world is evil. Okay, can we all agree on that as we go forward? You guys are just like drowsy today. What's going on? So, that, that's where Paul's coming from here. In um, verse 21, he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because Christ is Lord. We look at one another. This is another way of saying, give yourself over to one another. You need to make sure that you're look, thinking of others more often than you are yourself. And then he's going to lean into some specifics here about the relationships and ways that we live that out. And he's going to specifically talk about marriage. So, um, and, and, and really, here's the big idea. Paul, Paul's saying God's... He knows the world is evil and he's worried way more about what we are doing about it in our own lives rather than are we barking at the world for how evil they are. There are times when we need we certainly need to speak up, be the prophetic voice in our culture, in our world, in our politics. But Paul's saying primarily what God is worried about is what does this church look like? It's really clear that everything's jacked up out there, right? But are you guys are are we living out God's design? For sexuality, for gender? Are we living as biblical men, as biblical women? As God has called us to live. Are we living out our marriages in the way that God has called us to live out? I would say, I would even submit to you, that it is the church's failure to exalt, train up in, talk about, be comfortable with biblical sexuality within marriage, right? It is our failure to do those things that has paved the way and made for fertile soil of the confusion that we have in our world today. One of my my wife and I's favorite things to do in ministry is premarital counseling. And it it is no longer um, shocking to me to have... People come into our life and, you know, and do these surveys and we, we take these surveys and, and it kind of reveals things that they need to talk about. And anyway, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun, but it's, it's no longer surprising to me to see people that are raised in church forever. When, and they, they, their parents, their families, just not only did they not have a positive attitude about sex, they just didn't talk about it. That's a problem, right? Like that's a real problem. And that's not all of you. Just as many, like from within here, uh, the journey, where, where like, yeah, mom and dad talk about it too much. So they kind of roll their eyes and they're like, yeah, you know, like where they, they and then, but then they, they end up, you know, being really grateful for that. They're kind of grossed out by it, but as they lean into, the, they're getting ready, they're getting into their, in their own marriage. They're, almost, they're all grateful for it. Don't be elbowing nobody. We all... Uh, I see. I see some. Of, <laughs> I see some of you guys. Listen, high five to y'all. Like th- that is good. But listen, it is the failure of the church to acknowledge, speak into, and exalt a godly marriage and sex within that godly marriage that has led and made for fertile ground for this confusion to take such a root in our culture. Okay, like I, I believe that it, We should be the ones that have the best and most sex within our covenant marriages, right? We should be the one. Like, it was God's idea. This is our thing. The world's hijacked it and made it the most dominant thing in capitalism and all. Like, But this is our thing. That God gave us this. We're going to talk about that later. Like this, so we should be the ones that... And so what I think Paul's saying is look inward and say, okay, are we living out God's design for gender and sexuality? Because that's what's going to validate are witness to the world as we love on folks and we invite them into God's design. If they see our marriages broken, they see sexless marriages, they see marriages that there's no desire, they see confusion, divorce, just at the same rate as the rest of the world, what, what ground do we have to stand on to say, hey, come do things God's way, right? We need to be living out joyfully what God has gifted us in marriage between a man and a woman. Like we, we need to be leaning into that and wringing out all of the goodness that we can from it, and enjoying it. That's what Paul's saying uh, as, as he gets into this, and then he's going to say, uh, then he's going to talk about ways that we interact. Okay, so I want to read this as a bit of a, of a, a review of roles of manhood and womanhood. And I kind of want to let this speak back into the idea that there's not one that's greater than the other. That, as we've talked about, women image God by being the helper. And that doesn't mean that they're, oh, they're, you know, they just get to do whatever, God, whatever the man says and whatever. No, no. The helper by nature isn't the one that's diminished in that need. The one who needs help is the one who's having to acknowledge that they are you know, kind of weak right in those moments. And so the woman is, is put up as, as the helper that's suitable, the, the helper that a man needs and is equal to him and comes into the, the story to bear equal weight, have equal value, and have equal influence on the world, but in distinctive womanly ways. And so as that woman submits herself to that godly husband, right, which has a whole lot more weight on it than we often talk about, then they're imaging God because God is our helper, right? That word helper in Genesis 2 that freaks everybody out is only used elsewhere to refer to God, right? We talked about this. And and then we talked about Trinitarian theology where Jesus is fully God and yet... And he comes, you know, becomes fully man. He's, he hasn't lost any of his authority, but he lives in submission to God the Father, right? He says, it's not my will. I'm not here to do what I want to do. I'm here to do the will of the one who sent me. And so, you, ladies, you're called to image God by submitting to that. And then there's going to be weight that's put on the man that we're imaging Christ by giving self-sacrificing to one another. So uh, we'll, we'll read this, let this kind of review and recap for us. And then we're going to talk about specific ways in which when we come together as man and woman, we Um, point to the gospel and image God in particular um, ways that are beautiful and should not be diminished, instead be exalted. So Paul says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands and everything. Or submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Okay, so husband, before you get you know, quick to say, oh, that sounds really, you listen to this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands, should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. So Paul's going to lay this weight on the man and the woman in their marriage and, and say that, listen, this is how you image God. Together, when you join with... Man and woman. And this is why God's design as man and woman is distinct. Right? Because it says that it refers to Christ and the church. And there's this pursuit. And submission and service and love that complements and goes together in ways that are that are rich and point to the greater glory of God Himself and specifically Christ and the church. And so, uh, real quick, I want I want you to just be reminded that we're not talking about um, this submission a less than or whatever. Really, when we talk about the differences between men and women, um, those things are designed to be complementary in a way that that work together. Um, and actually call out and and bring forth the strengths in the other one. Let me just uh, quote John Piper to kind of put it uh, better and help us see it just a little bit clearer. He says whenever uh, whenever he's asked if if women are weaker than men, he says it's really not a good question. I wouldn't wouldn't answer it directly. What I would say is, yeah, women are weaker in some ways, but in other ways, men are weaker, right? And, And in some ways... Women are smarter, and then in other ways, other situations, circumstances, men are smarter. In some ways, women are more easily scared than men, but in other ways, men are more easily scared than women. Uh, uh, writer Sebastian Younger uh, wrote a book called Tribe, where he kind of reflects from a non. In fact, he makes it very clear regularly that he's not a Christian, um, and he and he always points to these things as evolute like. It's it's, it's, basic, it's, uh, it's proof of our evolutionary... These things lasted and are part of our culture because they're, they were evolutionarily valuable. And I go, yeah, yeah. Dude, this guy's stumbling all over the gospel all the time. But his writing's really insightful. And one of the things he talks about is how there is a difference in male and female, and our society needs that difference in order to flourish. And, and one of the ways that he points out is that it's not just about men are courageous and women are not. The courage looks different oftentimes. Men are, by and large, not always the ones that are going to be more apt to run into the burning building, right? To throw themselves into the water to save the one who's drowning. To throw themselves over their girlfriends and, and the women in the theater whenever the psychopath is shooting up the theater, right? And to save, to, to sacrifice themselves so that those that are more vulnerable would, would not have to perish, right? Like, men are, are more often than not going to be the ones that are physically going to respond in that kind of threat, right? But he, but he points out that, uh, first of all, in the absence of men, women will do the exact same thing. And in the absence of women, men will start to take on some of the caring, nurturing things that, that women typically do. So he says it, it's not just exclusivity, but the other po- thing he points out is that there's throughout history, women have showed courage in ways that, Really probably far outweigh just throwing yourself on a bomb. He talked specifically about in um, Europe during uh, Nazi Germany's regime, whenever um, there were families that were hiding Jewish uh, people, right, from the Nazis. And more often than not, these were women. They were opening up their homes, leading the charge and saying, this is not okay, like, you can stay with us. And that was very much at the cost of their own life. Like, they get caught doing that and they are instantly done away with, right? And that was women that were leading out in those ways. And you could point to different parts in history whenever uh, that kind of courage is displayed far and away by women in a way that, that it just, just wasn't a thing for men. Does that make sense? And so you see courage play itself out in different ways, and it's not about one being better than, stronger than the other. It's, it's, it's really about differences. And so John Piper goes on to say this, God intends for the weaknesses, and he would put that in quotations, that are characteristic characteristically masculine, God intends for those to call forth and highlight the strengths of women. right? And, and vice versa, God intends for the weaknesses that are characteristically called feminine to call forth and highlight the strengths of men. Okay, so he says, is, yeah, there are some ways in which men seem to be uh, sort of deficient, right? You, may, you could call them weaknesses, but those are, those are really not weaknesses because what they're meant to do is actually call out the strengths that God has given women, and vice versa, in ways that, that women are not necessarily uh, made in the same way that, that men are. It doesn't make them less than. In fact, it's made to call out the strengths and the, the ways that God has made the man so that they can come together and complement and create this beautiful picture of who our God is as they live together. He he Piper goes on to say picture these so-called strengths and weaknesses of of man and woman listed in two columns and if you give each one a numerical value you number them down through there at the end at the at the bottom of the column they are the same. They have the same sum. It is not one is better than the other. This is to create this complementary feature that calls forth the strengths in one another. And, that, and that's what he's saying here. As men live as men, we sacrificially give ourselves over work to provide, work to protect, work to romance and pursue and love on our wives. When we live that way, when we embody the way that Christ loved, pursued, gave himself for the church, when we do that, there's not a woman in the world that isn't glad to submit to that, glad to live in that work, that space. And even if there is someone that doesn't want to do that or disagrees with that, they can't argue with the beauty that happens in a home that is living that way. When the woman is responding out of respect and, and, and there's this mutual submission and the, and that's happening there, whenever men are living as God has called them to be as men and women are living as God has called them, like there's a beauty there that far supersedes and goes beyond anything that anybody else can make up as far as what's good about marriage, right? It's complementary features, complementary ways in which we are made. And so that's what Paul is saying here. Is when, you, when men embody the way that Christ loves the church and when women embody the way that Christ submits to his Father, then there's a, there's a harmony and a beauty and a flourishing that takes place there. All right. It doesn't end there, though. It's not just that. You lean in even more to what God is doing whenever he has made us male and female, called it very good. There's something even more distinctive, and it's scandalous, really. And, it's, and it's, it's going to make some of you blush, to be real honest. But Paul is going to talk about this as this, this mystery of Christ in the church. and then, And he says in verse 30, like all this happens because that's how Christ treats us and we're a part of his body. Like, we are one body in Christ the way that man and woman are one body in marriage. He says, therefore, in verse 31, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now listen, there's some spiritual implications to that, emotional implications to that. But I think we we do a disservice when we ignore the most obvious one, which is a physical implication of that. There's a physicality involved in how God has designed us, right? I won't get too graphic. You don't send your kids out. But, like, we need to, again, we need to kind of take this narrative back and make sure our kids do understand the beauty of, of marriage, right? But there, there's, a, there's a physicality to our complementariness. And specifically, there is one part of, of man's body and one part of woman's body, and each only has one that, that are made to complement each other, right? Sided hand signals are Probably need to be stifled for a second on that one, right? But you know what I'm saying. And there's beauty in that. We shouldn't blush at that. We shouldn't apologize for that. In fact, we need to celebrate that. Proverbs 30, verse 18 and 19 says this. It's it's a poem, but I want you to hear the beauty of it. It says, three things are too wonderful for me. Four, I don't understand. The way of an eagle in the sky the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship on high seas, and the way of a man with his maiden. He says there are things that are, three things too wonderful for me, three things I can't do before that I don't understand. He's saying there's one of them I can do, and I still don't understand the beauty of it. The way an eagle flies in the sky—you think about that—it leaves no mark. It's gliding gently. It, you can't—you can't explain it, right? There's just there's beauty about it, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way it slithers. It doesn't. It's not abrasive. It doesn't leave its mark. It, it, there's there's a mystery there about how it moves as fast and sleekly as it does in the way of a ship on high seas. The way it cuts through the water and yet seems to leave the water, and the way that they work in co- coalescing beauty together. He says, those three things, I can't, I can't accomplish those things, I can't float on, I can't do that, I can't fly like an eagle, I can't move like a snake. But he said, if the fourth thing, I can do it, but I still don't think I fully understand it. It's the way of a, a man with a woman. The writer of Proverbs is saying, there's some beauty here. And it's a parable-like beauty that speaks to the complementary nature of how God has made us as man and woman. And we don't need to miss it. We don't need to look over the fact that God, not just says it's okay if you want to have intercourse, he very quickly makes them, you go back to Genesis 1 and 2, he makes them male and female, pronounces it very good, and then what? He tells them what? Y'all are blessed. Be fruitful and multiply. Enjoy. Right? Like God knew what he was doing in that. He's not embarrassed by it. He's not caught off guard by it. I put an article link um, in your, if you go to your app and go to this weekend, there's an article I encourage you to read later. And, and honestly, it'll make some of you blush, so I won't kind of quote it in full here. But it talks about the way that that our physical intercourse images Christ in the church. And the way that a man is, is called to, to pursue, to romance, and then to come and offer his strength to the woman. And a woman in her strength gets to decide if she wants to draw him in and, and open up and receive him. Listen, there's there's imagery there about Christ and the church, right? The way that Christ has pursued his bride. God so loved the world, gave his only begotten son. We all know that. That meant Jesus coming and fighting for, pursuing his bride. He pursues us, reveals himself to us, and we get to make the choice or not whether we surrender. Right? And whether we let him come in and, and, and be a part of our life. Like there's, there's gospel imagery there about how a man pursues a woman and how that woman receives a man. And there is a, a, a nature, a, a natural complementary piece of the physical interaction there that God has designed on purpose to be a parable of how man and woman image his beauty to the world. So, I encourage you to read that, that short, very, very short article by, it's an excerpt from Wilder Hart and John Eldridge. But um, I'll read this one, though. Kevin DeYoung says that, that the ish in the Genesis story, or the man, and the isha, the woman uh, in the Hebrew, can, can become one flesh because theirs is not just a sexual union, but it's actually a reunion. It's the bringing together of two differentiated beings, but with one that is made from and both that were made for each other. What he's saying is they can come together and have this one flesh union because they're different, yes, but remember Eve was made from Adam and they were both made for one another. This is, where, this is where my mind goes every time somebody wants to talk to me about evolution and how God's not real and we just came to be by all this accidental stuff. I'm like, really? We accidentally like just willed that into existence? That we would have that part and she would have that part and they would work so together, so good together. Like I don't I don't see how that works, right? The nerve endings, all of that, like it's all good for God's glory, and I think it's a gift from Him. Like that to me is the biggest apologetic for a, a intelligent designer that I know. Maybe that's just me. Judge me if you want. It's good. God said so. Okay. Another writer says, think about it this way. He says, I have, as no doubt all you do, a strong emotion, emotional connections with lots of different people. My children, my parents, my sibling, uh, my extended family, my pastors, my close friends, and many in my church with whom I, I'm united as brother and sisters, right? Like there's a unification there. Yet, I have a comprehensive union with none of these other people, but only with my wife. Only with her do I share and unite mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and this is key, Bodily. This is a one flesh union, a complete and total uniting of lives that we have for centuries called this comprehensive union marriage. In this moment of man pursuing, offering himself, offering his strength, the woman receiving, it is in that act where life is created. You remember we talked about one of the ways in which the woman images God is by being a life giver, right? Eve is is named the mother of all things. One of the ways the woman images God, whether she gets to have children or not, and listen, we're going to talk more about that next week. I I don't want to diminish that. We're, We're looking specifically at what marriage is supposed to look like, right? as God's good design. So I don't want anybody to feel less than if they are single or infertile, but, but there is this beauty. If that's how life is created, that's how uh, we be fruitful and multiply, is in that moment, God uses that to create. And so without that, without the man offering his strength, without the woman receiving it, like the life isn't made. There's physical intentionality to, way, to the way that God has designed us. Listen, the beauty of our one flesh union is, is one of the major reasons that, that heterosexual and marriage is God's design for flourishing, right? It's one of the major reasons that homosexuality and other variations of relationships are wrong because though you may have genuine love for one another and, and you can even experience you know, pleasure in those types of unions, for one another, to, to, for you to experience the fullness of God's image-bearing Uh, purposes and to create life in that moment it takes a man and a woman we it like we see this um, we see this even in homosexual sexual relationships right We, we see where oftentimes one will will play the stronger more masculine one and one will play the more feminine one right and either way why is that? Well, I think it's because we're naturally wired to for one to, to have strength to give, right? And the other to have beauty to offer, right? Like that man and woman, like that's God's natural design. So even when it gets distorted, you still see people kind of grasping for that. And the same is true in those relationships, whenever they, they start to try to have a family, they have to submit back to God's design, right? They can't do that on on their own if it's if it's same-sex union, right? They they cannot create life. They have to either look to A male for the sperm to inseminate, right? Or they have to ask a female to be the one that carries as a surrogate. Even whenever you let, you know, they they live that out and say, okay, this is what, they're still having to give a nod back to the way that God created this whole thing because it just doesn't work without his design. And listen, we're going to talk in two weeks about our response. And I don't, what, what, what can happen in this? Oh, the day is evil. And Jordan's saying this is, we can just further this divide of, yeah, this is, we're the right and they're wrong. And we, us versus them. And but listen, our response to this, we're going to talk about at length in two weeks. And, and the biggest thing of it is we need to make sure that we are acknowledging that it is a us struggle period, right? That we struggle with sin. We struggle with sexual sin. And the only answer for all of us, homosexuals, heterosexuals alike is Jesus. We need to make sure we're postured under grace in this, but it, it doesn't mean we don't talk about God's good design and that there's goodness and rightness and commanded us to live this way. And God's complementary nature is on display in the, the physical parable of intercourse in our life. So, As we kind of close, um, we just let the weight of God's goodness fall where it may. Again, that's the biggest. We can't address all the distortions, all the nuances of the confusion in our culture today. What we want to do is look at what did God intend? How did He lay it out? So as we do that today, I don't I don't call our attention to this to to heap on guilt or uh, you know to further bring shame and, and distance amongst those that maybe are struggling with same sex attraction or have in the past. Um, Again, we're going to talk about a response in a couple of weeks, but really call our attention to this to look at what God has for us and to say that any variation from this is distorting God's good design. Hey, any variation of one man, one woman for a lifetime enjoying that union, any variation from that is distorting God's good design and needs to be repented of and we need to run back to what God had for us. Right? So that means porn is an absolute distortion and sin in view of what God had for us. Right That plays so much into the effects of women feeling beautiful and feeling pursued that men having uh, their desire aroused for other women on a screen giving them like listen part of the reason God you know give men a, what some would say a stronger desire and it goes back to ephesians five you've got to love your wife as you do yourself it means if if you're denying yourself all other points of pleasure right other than your wife you're going to have a compulsion inside you that's going to go hey if you want to enjoy her, you're going to have to love her. Right? That's God-given. So you can't treat her like crap and expect her to, you know, reciprocate. So any distortion of God's design for marriage that is enjoyed with man and woman and brings life into the world and brings unity as a one-flesh union needs to be repented of. That means a sexless marriage? It needs to be repentant of. It's not like optional if you want. Like God says, no. Don't in fact don't deny each other. That's a bad idea. He says unless you're praying. So any distortion of what God has laid out here needs to be repented of. So porn, sexless marriage, same sex, any of that. Paul would just throw it all in a junk drawer. Said, "Pornia, anything that's not God's design for sexuality, which is one man, one woman in a covenant marriage." Needs to be repented of. You're sleeping with your girlfriend or boyfriend and you're not married? You'd be repenting of that. This is God's good design. Not just so he gets to feel like we're all obeying him, but it's for our good and our flourishing. Let's pray. God, thank you that you speak into this conversation and that it's not the world's to have. Rather, it's yours. Help us as your people to trust you, submit to you, and seek to exalt you by worshiping with our husband and our wife by enjoying the complimentary nature of our relationship. You make us men who give of ourselves and offer our strength and offer sacrifice first before, and don't demand anything and don't demean anyone, but instead serve, pour over our wives as the Christ does the church to, to wash her with the water, to lead out spiritually, to lead out in ways in the home that you've called us to live. And Lord, help our, our women to be women who, who surrender to Christ and then surrender to their husband in Christ, Lord, that they learn the beauty of that. And No, it may be certainly as hard and messy at different points and for different reasons, Lord, and may they not feel crushed or isolated because of that. May this be a place where we can wrestle through that together. But Lord, help us to be a people that bear your image to the world in a way that is good and inviting and right and flourishing and joyful and pleasurable because you have gifted us with this. May we take back from the culture the sexual revolution, Lord. May we say, no, ain't no revolution needed. What God has designed is good and rich, and we are enjoying it here in the church. You can come join us. Would you help us to live that out? Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.